Hello, you're listening to Let's Talk Fitness, the bilingual English-French podcast by Stillness Fitness. I'm Sebastian, your host for this episode. Our guest is Mr. Andrew Vincent. Um, so, Mr. Andrew, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, Seb. Yeah. Um, so, my name is, like you said, Andy Vincent. I'm a coach, personal trainer. Um, Seb, we worked together, well, worked for the same company at uh, Third Space. Um, I was at Third Space for 11 years in Soho. Um, prior to that, was uh, was working at uh, David Lloyd. As a, uh, as a fitness manager, but I've been in the game for almost 20 years now. Entry into fitness was 2000, yeah, actually, no, 19 years, 2001, I first qualified. Um, so, yeah, just a little bit of my background, really, that I was a, a football player, um, got injured, was started doing some physiotherapy um, and Pilates, was just interested, really, back in 2000, there was really so little pre-internet Uh, to understand. I'd read books and I just wanted to learn, to learn more. So I actually sort of studied just for my own um, my own interest. Never in a million years did I think it turned into um, a career. Um, and then off the back of that, got into um, working in a David Lloyd or working for a, a few independents, then got into David Lloyd and sort of, to be honest, lost the love of it um, a little bit. That's not necessarily the, the place at the time to really develop and learn and to fuel my passion. So I ended up actually moving into um, management because it just felt like the most obvious thing to do. And after a couple of years, I was like, I'm just not enjoying my day-to-day -day and sort of had to really rethink what I really enjoyed, which was working with people, coaching one-on-one, -on -one, um, education, um, and very much kind of lent more towards the sort of rehabilitation side of things. Um, And then was actually lucky enough to, I went to a, um, uh, a pre-conference seminar for FitPro in 2007, it was, to hear Chuck Wolf speak about foot biomechanics, um, which is something that I've always been very interested in. And I met at the time the third space manager, and I had a um, literally interview with him the next day Um, all the three books. It was just one of those kind of like fates, kind of, if you believe in that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so I met Matt and we had a great chat and I basically just wouldn't leave him alone all weekend and we chatted. And, and the reality was actually when I walked into third space the first time, I remember thinking, God, I basically talked my way into this job because I walked in alongside some pretty, uh, pretty impressive fit pros, Phil Lurley, Uh, Gareth Cole, who's still there, Ollie Foster, some some very good coaches. At that point in time, 2008, that was when I realized that I need to up my game. Uh, being a trainer at David Lloyd was one thing, but being a trainer at Third Space was uh, was a totally sort of different ballpark. And I, I wasn't, um, I hadn't gone through university, so I always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about I'm not a sports science degree trained. So I just literally read everything I could, studied with whoever I could, was mentored by as many people as possible, just to try and make sure that I didn't like look like an idiot when I was talking to my peers. Um, 
And back in 2008 through 2012, um, I think at the time with the way that the third space was set up, um, very much like it is now, actually, it was so heavily education driven. Um, they just literally was just, it was just the best thing ever for me. Um, just developed so much, studied and learned so much. And I feel like looking back now, reflecting on those times, very kind of privileged and, and lucky to have walked into that facility at the time I did, um, because as much as learning from courses is one thing, um, it's amazing when you're in a pool of of amazing trainers that every day you walk in and you're sort of forced to to raise your game a little bit. Um, and I'll be the first to admit, I think I said to you on the uh, initial chat, that when I first got into weight training after my rehab, I very much got into sort of the... Um, not the bodybuilding competition, but certainly much the bodybuilding forms of training. So I've sort of gone off at a bit of a tangent. It was very sort of vanity driven. Um, and uh, then I hit sort of third space and had this kind of uh, real light bulb moment of, hey, there's a lot more to this than, than I realised. So it all kind of, uh, for my own evolution um, as a coach, it was, yeah, it was a real kind of turning point for me back then. And then fast forward to the present day. So I left third space um last year and currently i'm mm-hmm. um, uh, co- coaching in the balearics in ibiza uh, which has been a sort of lifelong dream of mine to uh, to, to move abroad and uh, to work in the sunshine so we are taking you through to present day perfect 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 well sounds like uh, you had uh, already a life into fitness a world life Yeah, like it was, uh, like I said, it wasn't, it was never what I expected. I was never the best sportsman at school. Uh, I was very shy as a kid. Um, I very much found myself within the weights room. I became much more confident. And and I guess back then as well, like obviously people were exercising, they've always been exercising, but it wasn't like the phenomenon that it was now. So it was almost kind of like it was my thing that was I did and, If anyone ever asked my parents or my girlfriend back then at the time, it's like, where's Andy? Like, he's in the gym. It was just, it was just the thing that I did. Um, and I used to love it. It was just like my meditation. It was my, I didn't even know back then, but it was kind of what, what kept me going. Um, but obviously then that developed into um, really kind of the birth of the internet. And then it was more information, more resources, meeting more people. You start to realize that there's more than you originally taught. And then obviously, Fast forward to present day that fitness isn't what it was. Fitness now is is incredible compared to what it was 20 years ago. So um, it's been nice to have been there a bit earlier on to see it go through the, the evolution. Um, but uh, yeah, I do. It's the, you know this, it's our passion. It's our work. It's what we spend our entire time reading about, listening to you. Definitely, we. it's hard not to immerse yourself in it. Um, when it's good, it's great. True, 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 true. Okay. Um, so, is there any any specific reason as to why uh, you've chosen to expand to to the level that you at? As you said, there's a, you can't really stop yourself from learning and from growing this industry, but it's in my opinion, it's kind of easy as well to remain um, 
comfortable with what you have. So what's your uh, drive to always learn and to always uh, push? Um, I get bored really easily. Um, I remember being at David Lloyd and sort of churning through sessions and was just doing numbers. And I've had those periods as well later in my career where I was saving to buy a house and I was very much just a the go-to PT to churn out numbers. And it's not an enjoyable job because you don't have time to do client aftercare. You don't have time to, when a client comes to you with a niggle, you sort of brush it off and you just go through. It's very easy to kind of go through the cogs as a trainer. And I found myself getting quite disconnected from my clients and clients pay good money to be with, uh, with trainers. So I've always just kind of like any time where I've spent six months just churning through numbers, I've got out to the other side and taken a deep breath and gone like, I actually don't enjoy this. Like I don't enjoy, I love training people. Don't get me wrong. It's what is my passion. I don't enjoy, enjoy training vast sums of people. I, which is why I like what I do now. I can train fewer people and get way more involved in the small nuances of what they do. And when when they throw me curveballs about stuff they're dealing with, be it with injury or behaviours with nutrition or sleep deprivation, it's, it makes you go away and research. Um, so I just get bored super easily. So I've always wanted to uh, to learn more. And honest to God, I've I've been around so many great coaches. Um, so you don't really, when you're around great coaches and they're talking and you're overhead and talking to their clients and um, and they come in and do workshops for the other PTs and you sort of sat there thinking, I kind of want to be there. I want to be the guy who stood in front of PTs teaching, not not always the guy that's sat this side, always learning. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like, I don't think I ever kind of decided that I was always going to study. Um, I just always did and it's when I study it's what makes me it's what lights that fire like you go away to a course for a weekend or you have a good conversation with like a colleague about ACR reconstruction and if I learn one thing from a conversation I kind of like I feel this warmth in me and then for the next day I'm energized and I feel fantastic it's it's like it's like a drug um and I've always, I've always felt that if I've had a, a long period of time where I've not learned something new or I've not sat and spoken to a good pro or studied a course or read a new book, it's where I feel a little bit like things are starting to flatten off. So my instant go-to is, right, book a course, get on a call with one of my mentors. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be mentored by some amazing pros who still uh, give me time to this day to, uh, to chat through things. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... It's threefold, really. And I know you've probably seen it as well. I, I know plenty of coaches that did their qualification back in the day and they sort of stuck to that and yeah. they're happy doing that. And that's absolutely fine if that's what you want to do. But it just never really suited me as a coach. Um, so obviously it's to each their own. And then the sort of person that gravitates towards the, towards us sort of coaches that, that do like to, to study a bit more and uh, speak to physios and um, understand a little bit more about human body and human behavior, um, then you, you naturally get those sort of clients come to you. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Okay. So um, earlier you mentioned that when you first started training, you were training mostly like a bodybuilder. Um, so right now, what are your thoughts on 
people that uh, starting their fitness journey and only see um, the bodybuilding side of things. So they don't see uh, the nutrition, they don't see the functional training part of it, they don't see the mobility required to perform certain movements. So how do you see that? It's, I, I feel like everyone comes into the industry to do their own thing, and I'm, I try never to – I'm not critical of the way anyone wants to train. Mm-hmm. Um, I, feel, I feel like most people will have a evolution throughout their own training history, a bit like my own, where it's great to start there. And, and don't get me wrong, like uh, I'll be the first to admit that I'll, I'll finish a workout and happily just do like a quick – like shoulder blitz and just do some fun, like blood flow work at the end of a session. I have no issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to those that sort of like really go all in on, I, it's like if you're really doing bodybuilding and you're, everything's in tune and you're getting nutrition sorted out and it's got an end goal that you're going to get on stage, fine. It's when I guess general population go into the gym and they sort of gravitate towards cable flies and bicep curls. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you just spent all day sat at, at the desk that, they're, they're like not the things you need. Um, and that's, that's then our job as, as profession, as professionals mm-hmm. to, um, not to try and necessarily always sell our services, but just to try and better inform those around us that, um, there are other ways to look after the human body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can look great. You can, um, you can train the compound movements, which I know what comes to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can blend it with proper mobility, proper nutrition. Um, I always feel like I'm talking about the same thing when I discuss this, but I always think of this 360-degree approach to, to any goal. Yeah. Um, there's no reason why you can't look great and increase lean tissue, but also be mindful of joint care, be mindful of soft tissue quality, uh, have good nutrition, be focused on hydration, mm-hmm. be focused on sleep. Um, it's not that you then got to live like this perfect life, it's just you just want to touch on elements of all the kind of key pillars over the course of a day, be that in the gym or in your own home. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel I feel like having been there myself with my own confidence issues over the years, where um, when I look back at myself when I was 28, when I was probably at my biggest in sense of like lean mass, um, I was miserable. I looked at myself in a mirror. I wasn't happy. I wasn't in discomfort necessarily because I was young enough to kind of get by. Um, but I remember always wanting more. I was never kind of like, you'd see a magazine cover and you're never going to look like that. And it and it was always quite mentally hard to look in the mirror and never really see the good. Always to pick, like nitpick the, the negatives. Okay. And I remember... I remember I start like being around more physique based people models who were in phenomenal shape basically having the same internal battles that I was which was they didn't necessarily see what sort of physique they had um so you're like wow if it happens to those guys and those guys are effectively cover models then like what hope have the rest of us got and it was kind of a good like turning point for me mentally to um, just to relax my mindset towards um, my own belief in my physique, um, and it's yeah, that's that for me as a as a for mental health benefits has been a, a, a huge plus. Okay, so um, 
Last two questions before we start, so we jump into the main topics. So um, what's the best advice that's been given to you into the fitness industry? Um, the best advice that's been given to me, um, I remember when I was came out of a course, which I won't name, I was questioning quite a few of the, uh, the methods as we were doing it. And I was trying to apply it and I didn't necessarily believe in it, but I just kind of like stuck to it because who was I to know better? And then I remember um, going again, going to third space and speaking to Gareth Cole and Gareth Cole was just like, just because it's written doesn't make it so. Think critically about everything you read um, and ask questions. Like don't just blindly believe because up until that point, I think I was just kind of blindly believing what was written in a textbook. Um, so So to this day, when I read things, I'm quite quick to to think critically, think about other research that I've read in the same field, speak to other pros, um, and maybe just apply what parts of it I think would be correct and what parts of it I think might be slightly misleading. Maybe I'd research a bit further, um, try and apply it, and if it didn't work, then I would not discredit it, but I'd move on to the next piece of research and the next piece of advice that I was working with. Okay, okay. And so, same question, but uh, in life. So, what's the best advice that's been given to you in life? Best advice given to me in life? Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, don't need to have stuff figured out. Just, like, stop trying to work out what you're doing and, like, life just evolves so easy to get caught up in where am I going to be in three to five years' time and stressing about that. And it's obviously great to have goals and it's great to have aspirations, but I've always found that if I over-worry about that kind of stuff, then I get very anxious. And my anxi- and anxiety is something that I've, I've struggled with a fair amount. Um, so when I, when I live in the present and I stop, like, worrying about what kind of coach am I going to be, what kind of niche should I, should I settle down into, um, I'm a much happier individual and then still layer in some goals, but don't, don't obsess over every single thing because a lot of this stuff does kind of evolve as you go along and um, not always having every answer to every question. Um, it's kind of nice. Um, so, yeah, it's, and that's taken a long time for me to kind of be able to, uh, to relax and I still struggle with those sort of things to this very day in first. Yeah. Okay. Yes, interesting. Interesting that you you mentioned uh, anxiety and depression because I, I think that in nowadays people are easily getting stuck with things that they they don't have control over, and it's kind of stopping them from enjoying the present. And uh, it's something that I always tell my to my client is to try and forget about work, forget about um, their life for this one hour that we're working together so then they can better themselves for an hour and then realize that all the things that they were worrying about or they were thinking about are not as important as they think. And that's, I think, as well, was as a trainer, that obviously it's... Um, that we we know this as coaches but our role is multifaceted um but just at a most simple level like exactly what you just said one hour where a busy person can come in 
be told what to do, forget about whatever it is that's stressing them out. That one hour becomes like a real relief for them. Um, and it's if you can get them to sort of layer more of that kind of just enjoy the now, um, then it's great. Because again, I guess I always refer things back to this this industry, but I, I think of clients, uh, they talk about when I get to a certain weight or when I get pain free, I'll start enjoying myself. And when, when, when I've achieved something, I'll start enjoying myself. And it's like, that's a, not a great place to be because having, you have no ideas of what's going to happen when you've lost those five pounds. Are you going to be happy now? What's, there's no guarantees you're going to be happy. So if you can't enjoy the now, waiting to enjoy yourself, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a kind of strange thing that we do. And I think the being in slam in the middle of the coronavirus, I think a lot of us are starting to, spend some time to reflect on actually what the hell is really important yep. um and stress stressing about work definitely is not that important nope. um or stressing about life isn't important so uh, hopefully a lot of people after this will start to uh take care of themselves slightly better um certainly mentally yep. yeah okay so um let's start with our first topic which was uh injury rehabilitation and how long should you, should you wait? And once you're good to go, should you avoid to train this body part or should you strengthen it? So this is the, um, every question, of course, is going to start with the exact same sentence, which all good coaches should start the answer of any question that's put to them within reason, uh, which is it's going to depend, obviously, on the uh, soft tissue injury, type of injury, um, and the the type of training modalities that the person is, uh, is doing. Yeah. So when we think about what injury is, what uh, what occurs during injury, so I, mean, I guess the most common injuries are going to be when muscles are taken to a length that they're not used to and they aren't able to deal with the forces going through them. So when that load-bearing capacity exceeds the, the force or the strength of the tissue, then the tissue will have to tear, sprain, whatever the injury may be. So you put too much force through that tissue. And then depending on the level of force um, and the region of the body, it's then going to depend on like how long it's going to take to, uh, to recover for localized swelling and inflammation to uh, to come down to the point that you can start load bearing onto it again. Okay. It'd be great to hear your thoughts on this because uh, I I'm literally unless it's a unless it's a break a rupture um, then the advice in my eyes should always be never rest um, keep the keep the joint and the tissue mobile don't don't work through pain or don't provoke pain. Um, but you do want to be moving it. That doesn't necessarily mean in a load-bearing impact, closed chain uh, with a foot on the ground or a hand on the ground um, environment, but doing articulations of a joint with the foot free or the, uh, the, the arm free just to kind of keep the ranges that you've got um, mobile and to um, just effectively get nutrients to that that tissue to try and encourage uh the tissue to repair what's your sort of thoughts on 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 that yeah so um i copy what you said as if um 
regarding of which kind of which type of injury is going to depend on uh there's a few things that we'll have to take into consideration um the first thing that i will take into consideration would be the level of pain so if someone's come to me and tells me that uh my uh, let's say that they have an ankle injury and uh they are in pain i will always ask them to expand on what on their um, status so if you're telling me that you're in pain which kind of pain is it on a scale of 1 to 10 where do you mark your pain and um with my um so i used to work a bit with physios um when i was back in france and it's something that they they taught me which was that um how somebody will explain the pain is most of the time different from what they are really feeling at first so you have to yeah. always dig deeper to make them put the right words on the feeling that they have and once you once that's been done uh obviously we're going to um judge and see whether we are going to load or just mobilize um something i'm quite known for is that uh i won't say that i'm a perfectionist because it's not that but i like when when you perform something i like your technique to be on point so regardless of someone with or without injury when we are training together this is something that i will be really meticulous about so when then i'm transferring it to someone with injury i will make sure that okay you're moving your you're moving your ankle okay so where does the pain start where does it stop can you uh, um, in a dose section can you uh, feel the pain or not can you extend your foot do you feel a pain or not so i will take the person through the um, different movement that the joint can is supposed to perform on a healthy base and then take layers out whether or not this is uh, necessarily but yeah i will definitely encourage people to uh move a minimum the joint to make sure that the um, the effect of training are starting as soon as possible yeah you need to touch on some great points there um i think the the, the the one about being able to um articulate pain yeah is is a really important one um because we're just we're not particularly good uh in today's society at really feeling anymore it seems so it's, we're quite hot it seems like we struggle to know what a sharp sensation would be versus maybe a burning sensation people can get but yeah it's amazing isn't it how kind of there's this disconnect sometimes to certainly certain regions of the body um but yeah, if you can ascertain the the level of tissue, because sometimes injuries are going to occur and people are busy and they won't go and get a um, a diagnosis. And then sometimes you you hear the diagnosis as a coach and you're like, oh, I don't know if I 100% think that's correct. But 
You don't want to sort of go down that yeah. rabbit hole. Um, see it there, just trying to establish like what it is. Um, and then from there, you mentioned about mobilizing and, and loading. And I think that is effectively where this conversation sits. It's, it's mobilizing. I'm almost like instantly, I actually had a client today who messaged me saying she was in pain. And the first thing I did was just like send her a load of, like do these like non-load bearing mobilizations for that particular joint and just keep the tissue doing stuff in a non-weight bearing environment just to get nutrients to the site of pain and then just don't go aggressively into pain. And you said the pain scale. So try identifying the pain scale where you're going to be. And then effectively, when it comes to loading, you you apply the same um, understanding. So I would load in the open chain. Um, and then when I, and then we're in the same session, close chain exercise, and then same thing, be very much looking at feedback from the client. Yeah. Um, looking for that pain scale, seven out of 10. Okay, so we're going to stop here. Um, and then don't overload the tissue with, so if it's an ankle problem, then try and spend a period of time with the foot planted on the floor and then put the person prone or supine on the ground, mm-hmm. do, do something in a non-load-bearing capacity and then come back to a load-bearing position and then just see if their threshold, now they're maybe slightly pre-fatigued from the per- first exercise, see if they're able to deal with that. Um, and we know this as coaches, that with the best with certain injuries, that you write out what you think is going to be the programme and then within 30 seconds of doing it, you're like, okay, if I just change the order slightly, if I, I bring the set, I bring one set down, I put two working sets, I'm going to do one set, and I'll just, I'll bring the, um, the density of the session down, I'll increase the rest period. So tissue is just, we are, we are biological tissue. We are so complex yeah. that um, there is never going to be a right answer, is there? That's why um, having a coach that is able to um, adapt to session um because there's no hard rules and um i think the better we are like you said talking to people and understanding their own pain threshold because no no a client's not going to come back loads if certainly if it's not if there's not a uh, pre-existing relationship with the coach yeah. if you're constantly making them feel very very painful and very very comfortable in a session um you need to build that trust if you've got that trust you might better push it a little bit harder but you also need to know the total demands of the person's life. So if you've got a client coming in and they're injured and they, they play a sport and you know full well they're going to be back on a bike soon or be back on the road mm-hmm. soon, then what you do is going to be much more focused, much more kind of complex. You're going to need to get them in probably more frequently but doing shorter sessions. Um, there's, there's so many variables you might be juggling to try and um, – adapt what you're doing specifically for the demands of the individual that's in front yeah. of you um because yeah getting someone back to sit at a desk ultimately your job or our job as a uh, doing rehab is the tissue the tissue went under force the, the tissue couldn't deal with the force so therefore the tissue had to compensate and and tear or whatever so the, the threshold of of forced ability or the ability of the tissue to be able to withstand a level of force was a certain height. Well, rehabilitation doesn't shouldn't just take them back to where they were because they got injured where they were. So it's our job to actually push that force absorption above where they were. Yeah. So we're not rehabilitating back to the same level where they got injured because guess what? They're going to get injured yeah. again. 
it's our job as a, as a coach to take them way beyond that point. So the new tissue that's laid down is more resilient under load and able to deal with much greater force. Um, so it's, it's almost, not that, not that it is a metric that we know as a coach, but you hear how the ankle rolled. Okay, so the ankle rolled in inversion on uh, just body weight. Okay, that probably shouldn't happen. Your, your load-bearing capacity was not where it should be. So that's a movement pattern we're going to need to go into because some people are like don't don't train the pattern, don't train the MCL because it's it's torn. It's like, well, hang on. If you don't train tissue that's gone through shock and it's, and it's yielded, then you are effectively leaving these blind spots in the human body that's gonna it's gonna damage again. Yeah. So you need to train you need to train the exact motion that tore the tissue at the point that the, that tissue can take load through that range uh, or through a range, but through the same movement. So um, this is why I love what we do because this stuff's fun. <laughs> you, can kind of, you can be in a session, you can see what a client can do and you can try and think of ways to rig up like a particular shoulder position, horizontal abduction with external rotation. How the hell can I load that to get them into a position where I can achieve force through the joint at the range that the, the tissue got damaged. Um, so it's almost like a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle playing in the session, trying to work out how, uh, how to do it. And I think that's those sessions I love uh, because you can't, you almost can't write that session out. That's those sessions kind of, they happen on yep. the spot. Um, I think yeah, two days ago I was, um, I was watching a webinar and with Michael Mullin and he was, he said something really interesting about uh, rehabilitation, which was that as coaches, we are not really rehabilitating people. We are giving them abilities to be better at what they were doing. And yeah. th that really rang a bell because really and truly, uh, when when I have someone coming to me, in my head, I don't want this person to live feeling as they were. I want them to feel better. So, in a way, if you rehabilitate them, you get them back to where they were. Whereas if you habilitate them to get better, you've done more than what they already were. Yeah, I think that's where where physios and personal trainers should work together. Um, a good physio will get get them to a point that they are, I don't know, seventy percent of where they need to be, and then the the notes passed over need to be need to be such that you need to be doing these particular movement patterns, and we need to get the, the threshold of that tissue up far greater because it yielded under certain load um which is which is a problem i guess because sometimes you get the physio who tells the client something and then by the time they tell you the, what's going on you're like well i actually they might relay the message wrong or they didn't hear something properly and then it's kind of hard to know what actually you're rehabbing okay you've, you've, you've torn your rotator cuff well shit man that could mean Sorry, I swore. Uh, that could mean loads of things. Like, who knows uh, what what exactly you tore? In what angle did you tear it? Do you know how it went? And 
sometimes that relaying of information is, is not great. And obviously, as a coach, you can do your own assessment. But then if you're assessing a client that's probably spent the last how many weeks being assessed yeah. anyway, it's almost like a this isn't a fluid transition, whereas it can yeah. be when it when it works well. It's um, I certainly felt like when I've done it myself and I've, and I've got good physio notes and I've gone into the session, I understand what I need mm-hmm. to do. There's communication and, and the client understands their homework and then it's just like a dream and then they go away and it works really well versus you get this kind of scrap paper with some notes on it. You're like, uh, you weren't probably listening, I don't think, <laughs> to what the physio might have said to you because that's not actually a yeah. muscle. Um, but um, let's, let's see what we've got here and uh, and we'll try and work with it. So, um, but yeah, it's tough. Like as, as personal trainers, like um, I, I say this quite a lot because I speak to quite a lot of new coaches coming into industry that certainly probably they say things that I was experiencing. It's just so hard as a trainer to feel like you need to know so much because the human body is so complex. And as a trainer, if you try and think you know it all, then you're going to, or you think you need to know it all, you're in a hiding to nothing because you're never going to know it all because no one knows it all. Because if, if neurosciences don't understand neurology, how the hell are we going to understand the central nervous system when it comes to tissue adaptation? Like, there are so many things we don't understand. So you just work within the framework of what we do understand, um, which is mobilize and load. Like what you said, those, those are so powerful. Um, and then say, never try. I think as coaches, we sometimes either beat yourself up and worry about, or the good, I find good coaches beat themselves up and worry about what they don't know. And bad coaches think they know yeah. it all. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, and they're like, oh, I'm rehabbing this and I'm doing that. And it's like, you don't know that stuff. Like this, I've spoken to people in the top of their field and they don't understand that. So I'm sorry, as a trainer, you don't understand that. You're guessing um, at best. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to uh, almost within reason stay in lane. If you're good with injury rehabilitation and you've got good physiotherapists you can work with, great. Obviously, it's great for a trainer to take on new clients and, and learn yeah. new things. But it's one of those times, it's one of those terrifying moments when you see PTs take on. ACL reconstructions, you're like, oh God, please say I'm talking to someone about this and you're not just kind of like going in blind. Um, because I've been there, I've gone in blind as a young coach because I know, knew no better. And uh, it's not a nice place to be for the phys- for the, uh, the client or the trainer. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's an important one yeah, to understand. Definitely. definitely. Okay, so um, do you have anything else to add? to this topic or we can jump on to the next one no i just think it's uh, one thing i will say is obviously um lower limb uh, lower extremity injury versus uh, upper extremity injury is just wildly different as far as um the load going through those mm-hmm. tissues so um the ability to properly um do good rehab sometimes on a torn ATFL, ankle sprain, uh, is is tough because it's pretty hard to um, to do all the things you want to do with tissue that is constantly under load. So people are walking around um, and then they come to you and it's like, well, I can't do tons of stuff on this because you've got to walk for the rest of the day. So versus if you have if you are rehabbing a rotator cuff injury, then you might be able to do a bit more in a session. So the location of an injury. Uh, proximal or distal could then also uh, change the way that you view that injury. True, 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 true. And 
often have people well as you said earlier um when you write your program for a specific injury and the person comes and you realize that after yeah five minutes in that you have to rewrite everything because it, it doesn't match anymore or because um, feelings has changed sometimes it's hard for some clients to understand that in this session we are not going to be doing much not because i don't want to but because the evolution of your um injury of your status makes me reconsider everything and for me to give you the best service that i can i need to step back maybe to dig into my uh, old readings to dig into to have a chat with my some colleagues to understand what's going on better and then give you the the service that you deserve yeah i think as as a uh, as a client as someone that is hopefully listening to this is thinking about taking on a personal trainer um if your trainer does that it means they are a good trainer because they are honestly I, i'm the first to, to to admit this and i don't i didn't used to but I'm, I'm happy with what i don't know these days is that i make mistakes in my assessments and i'm doing things and i've written things down and i'm like oh that's funny because i put here that like let's say that if it's an injury you obviously remember the same side but you might have observed a limitation an internal rotation and you're like oh that's strange that actually looks like the joint's moving okay and i check my notes and it's like oh i did actually put my notes add up but what i'm seeing is different and i'm like i actually might have made a, i might have made an observational error because we are all human beings and that's what happens this is why we record things and we go back over it um it's okay to be wrong it's okay to make mistakes um, what's not okay is to blindly follow what you wrote on a program, uh, even though what you think you're observing is different to the way you program. That's that's not good. Um, but it's okay to to not know, and, and it's okay to be baffled and say like, "Hey, I'm actually not sure." I'm going to give you physio call. We're going to do. We're going to still do some stuff. Don't worry. We're going to we're going to we're just going to stay safe. I was going to do some eccentric loading on the tissue, but I've decided that today I'm not going to. I'm going to go away, speak to the physio, come back to you before I put the tissue insult that is eccentric deceleration yeah. through that particular uh, tissue. All right. So um, our second topic was compound movements. What are they and why are they important? So yeah, I kind of like, um, I like this question because uh, I kind of, I think back to my old uh, bodybuilding days. So you think of compound movement as a multi-joint movement and then your isolation movements being a single joint movement. And as a coach, you want to spend more time doing compound movements because they effectively give movements the biggest bang for your buck. Um, but then you kind of are in the So the second you're into multi-joint movements, you're into compounds. But then I always think it's interesting that there's no framework beyond compounds to then give you more kind of categories because – a snatch is definitely more compound than a bench press. Yeah. Um, but ultimately they're both, they, they both get kind of like dropped into the compound um, list together, I, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, so when we think about most basic movement patterns, we think of uh, a, a horizontal push and pull and vertical push and pull. And in the lower body, you've got your hip dominant hinge patterns. 
Uh, and then you have your, uh, you can have obviously slightly more knee dominant hinge patterns as well. Mm-hmm. And then you can have your uh, squat patterns, more hip dominant and more knee dominant. So the second you're going into most lower limb activity, you're going to generally be more in a compound realm. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Like a single leg RDL, um, you could argue that as the, the ankle isn't really going through dorsiflexion, it's just stabilizing, um, you do get minimum hip flexion, uh, knee flexion and a ton of hip mm-hmm. flexion. Okay, could you call, could you really call that an isolation exercise? Because for sure, there's, it's definitely not an isolation exercise. But if you're thinking about an isolation movement in its own right, I guess you could call it an isolation exercise. So there's definitely some that kind of sit on the border. Yeah. Um, obviously, as a majority of your workout in a in a certainly in an individual that is able to withstand the forces you're putting through them. So you've done your due diligence and you've done your assessment and you know this person has the capacity to press overhead. Then you um, you can assign a, a, a multiple joint movement pattern going through that plane of motion. Um, it's super important to, to save time. Like people don't want to be doing tons of isolation work. And that's the same really for, for rehab as well. Like it's good to do rehab, but it's also good to try and, because joints don't move in isolation, joints move together. Exactly. So we want to get compound motion all the time even in rehabilitation um it's really important and then you have to really think about the why behind what you're doing so um this uh, i spoke this, about this other day to someone about um would i make a um a non-overhead athlete press overhead the example was a runner would i make a runner press overhead mm-hmm. I was like well i wouldn't make them do a seated shoulder press no but i would make them do a, a half kneeling single arm overhead press looking at just lumbar pelvic hip control yeah. i'm not necessarily i'm not necessarily thinking about shoulder flexion and elbow extension i'm thinking more about the ability of the person to co-contract their glutes and abdominals and maintain diaphragmatic breath whilst doing a compound movement mm-hmm. so there's compound movements and there's there's compound movements of course so um and of course as well the the why behind the, the whole thing is the, the client goal so what what is the client goal um if a client is just looking to get lean, then of course you need to put a, a lot of compound movements in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be a point of diminishing returns in the session where if you just continue to hammer compound movements, then the client classic chest day where the first lift you do, you're able to get decent strength percentages out. And then you do your second chest exercise and you're slightly less on your strength percentages. And then the third exercise is so far down the percentage, you're like, well, is it even worth doing that particular compound? Seeing as you could, if you were fresh, you could press 20% more load and you've just been working with a much lower load. So are you are you forcing adaptation by organizing your workout in that order? Um, so compound exercise is super important. How you then program multiple compound exercises um, and the the total intensity that you're putting through someone. So if you've got a lot of five by five or below lifting, how many compounds can you do in a session or is it worthwhile doing in a session is then obviously going to be a big question. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's like when it comes back to the why, if you are looking to get someone lean and you are looking at maybe increasing lean tissue, um, the focus is going to be very much on mechanical load. So you're looking at just trying to keep the tissue under under tension um to create damage to create muscle protein breakdown mm-hmm. um so therefore maybe doing certain compound exercises like a snatch 
isn't relevant because there's obviously a lot more skill acquisition involved in that. There's uh, a greater force production at particular ranges, but there's not tension throughout the whole range. Um, so the why is the why behind the workout, which is generally goal driven, needs to be in the coach's mind when putting a compound exercise into the routine. Because if I speak to my young coaches that I talk to, mm. the thing I always ask is, "There's no right answer." But the why? Why have you? Why have you programmed that? And I'm not looking. I'm not asking it to be a dick. I'm asking it. To, I just want to know that there's some sort of kind of thinking in the background behind the, the why behind that. It hasn't even got to be that particular row variation. Mm. It's just why have you put why have you put a a, a body weight row in there? Yeah. Um, as long as there's a kind of a thought process um, behind it. Um, but you can also think of the compound movements then move into the world which we probably live a little bit more in in, in mobility. Obviously, you can mobilize in in single joint, um, or you can try and open out range of motion in a single joint. Um, but then it's also good to do global movements effectively than compound movements, if you want to call them that, mm-hmm. under load as well to make sure, going back to the conversation about rehabilitation, that the tissue doesn't yield under load. So I think the old-fashioned way of looking at compound movements was that kind of upper body cushion pull, um, vertical and horizontal, lower body hinge, lower body squat pattern. But then when you blow that out, into the realms of the way that you can load tissue, the ways that you can apply load to the body to offset load, to same side load, um, then the, the realms of compound training become a minefield of this. There should almost be lots of subcategories beyond that. Um, but, but yeah, um, what do you think? I'll flip it over, flip it over to you. What's your thoughts on compound training? <laughs> yeah. So, um I think that this is something really important um because as you mentioned joints are not moving uh on their own they're moving together now um when I'm doing when I'm assessing uh current clients or prospects um I do a joint by joint approach and the reason behind that is because it gives me um, an understanding of which joint is the, more, the most able, the most capable at this time, and also which one I need to really focus on or improve to get to, to get capable. Once I've done that, I will tend to transfer my assessment to a compound movement. So usually I will use squat uh, at the end of, well, not at the end, but I will make a person squat, let's say, two or three times during the assessment. So in their mind, they might be thinking, okay, so why, why is he making me squatting? or is just want to see how low I can get or anything. But what I'm looking is really how capable are you to squat, how I looked at your ankle mobility, which was fine, but now how stable are you doing this pattern? 
how uh, good is your thoracic extension while you're squatting? Can you maintain an upright torso? Do you have to uh, go wider with your stance? Do you have to go narrower? Do you have to turn your toes outward? So um, to me, compound movements are really important as to uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, once I, once the, um, uh, what's the name of that? Uh, once my scan has been done, my screen, sorry, uh, I'm getting back to, uh, as you said, so what's the goal of the client? So most of the time, uh, in my case, I will have uh, someone willing to uh, get rid of an old injury or to wanting to move better. So in that case, I'm going to ensure that the exercises that we're doing are supporting the goal, but mostly are supporting the improvement of the ability that we need to work on. So for someone with, um, I would say, tight hips or not as mobile as uh, they should be, I will be doing loads of single leg, uh, single leg squats, single leg uh, uh, deadlift, Cossack squats, different variation, different progression, of course. But this is uh, what I'm, uh, I will be prescribing. And isolation movements, as you mentioned earlier, single leg RDL can be considered as one, but on the other hand, um, I think that isolation uh, movement has their, their place into any program. It just depends on uh, how you intend to program them, but also uh, what's your client expectation from such a movement. So when, when I use a single leg RDL, I will always tell my clients, um, this is not only to improve your balance, but this is also to strengthen this leg, which is uh, not as reactive as the other one. This is to give you more feedback. This is to help you to control your um, torso, your uh, core stability. So uh, I tend to... Any exercise that I put into a program, I tend to explain my clients the reason why we're doing this exercise. So then when they are actually going through the exercise, they know what they should be looking for. And at the end of each set, I will always ask them, how did that feel? Uh, did you did you get uh, the sensation that I was uh, referring to at, at the beginning? Did you feel it elsewhere? So then we can always trick the movement, trick the exercise, and why not get rid of it and use another one which will be more uh, suitable. I think uh, it's interesting because I feel like sometimes isolation exercises go they, they kind of get bad press, but. I I program a ton of isolation work 
in reality because I don't really like my clients to um, to rest that much in sessions. I don't do I don't I don't do like heart rate heart rate style sessions. My sessions are um, I'm, I'm not a hit trainer. I don't I don't do like jumpy shower sessions. I do kind of uh, proper coaching in my eyes. So yeah, same. when I, when my when my clients are doing let's say Cossack squat for example. Um, and I know that on their right side, they is the side they they lack um, ankle dorsiflexion, not loading it particularly heavy. Then I'm in an ankle dorsiflexion exercise, or I might do some tibialis anterior activation exercise as a kind of like layered uh, intraset um, accessory, let's call it. Um, but I think in a, a correctly positioned um, isolation exercise can can pay dividends because I, I, I generally always do sort of ramped sets so I'll do one light warm up set one uh, moderately warm one moderately heavy set then maybe two working sets certainly with a trained individual that's that's proficient with the movement so yeah. I've always got I've got in those ramp sets uh, I might do shorter rest periods but then I've always got like a couple of windows where I'm like let's work on something here let's work on I don't know We'll do some rotator cuff work in between because, as much as I love my clients, learning about their their weekend is is kind of nice. But they can tell me about the weekend whilst they do a, a rotator cuff exercise or whilst they do um, a pails and rails on their left ankle. Like uh, that's just the yeah. way that I like to fill the gaps. Um, so uh, yeah, I think isolation exercises when you think of bicep curls, and I again, like, I still have that inner vanity issue so i actually have no issue with that kind of stuff but um when you think of isolation exercises to actually improve a compound lift by opening out a joint or by activating tissue that potentially is not doing its job there's always that sweet spot between and i've done it myself or i've trained a client and i've put some isolation exercises in and gone like oh i've actually now gone fatigued the area in the body that I was trying to activate, I, I took it a bit too far. Right. I think actually I've now fatigued the tissue that I was just trying to stimulate. Um, but um, when done right, and obviously that, that isn't always the case, it's usually not, but that's, again, I'm the first one to say that I make mistakes. Um, but yeah, I think in the right in the right framework and isolation exercise is, is correct. And like, like anything, like a, I don't know, leg extension for someone that's in a wheelchair becomes a functional exercise because anything that does like send a signal to the the thigh muscles will we'll, we'll pay dividends in the long run so um it always plays yeah. back to that it depends on the person like there's always going to be a situation where any exercise that you can think of apart from burpees which have no place on this earth um <laughs> any exercise uh I, I could think of a purpose for using it uh, so i had to get i had to slam burpees at some point in this podcast it's just the way i am um, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I saw your post on it, and yeah, uh, I was considering doing one myself, but then <laughs> I think you said it all. If you know, it's, like, no... it's a bit like it's a bit like clickbait, isn't it? You just know it's gonna piss off yeah. loads of people. Um, but and I'm the first, I'm, I'm happily proven wrong. I think I'm I'm pretty coachable um, as far as like I make mistakes. I think things that are wrong, and I get and I love hearing about other people's uh, opinions but i'm yet to have and i've had lots of people shout at me about this i'm yet to have anyone give me a good i think and no coaches yet come up with a good reason 
to argue why the why, and the, and the why of their hard is that that's not a reason. Like there's lots of hardship. Carrying yeah. carrying a, like a ton boulder over your head is also hard. It's to make it worth doing. Um, yeah, so like <laughs> being being hard is not a reason to put an exercise into a workout. Um, but yeah, let's let's not go there. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, do you have anything else to add on that topic? No, no, I think we uh, we nailed compound no. moves. Good. Okay, perfect. And so, the last topic was how yoga flexibility affects your performance. Yeah, so I, I've kind of chosen things that I feel all sort of like all web in um, one another. And I'm, not, I'm definitely not anti yoga. I do yoga myself, I do really enjoy yoga. Um, and, I, and I think, like, like trainers, a good a good trainer is worth their weight in gold. A good yoga teacher is worth their weight in gold. Um, but I do have some issues with the whole kind of let's just get people flexible and that's going to save us all um, because I'm sure we, yourself included, we work with people that are hypermobile um, and that's not something you want to be, um, not, not, long, not long run. So there is a – and every single one of us is different. Uh, there is a sweet spot with your ability to – um, elongate a muscle into what is perceived as flexibility. I think it's important to s- discuss the difference between flexibility and mobility, which I'm sure people might have read before. But the ability to so flexibility being the um, the ability to elongate a muscle from origin to insertion to extend a joint into a particular range of motion, which can be done both both passively with the feet off the floor but you can also do that obviously with the feet on the ground as well and make it a tiny bit more active um versus mobility then being the ability effectively mobility is strength within your own flexibility um so can you use your ranges um so then going back to to yoga so good yoga done correctly where um the ranges of motion that are being lengthened and opened or Sorry, let's change the wording. Range of motions that are being um, used are getting strong at the same time. That stuff is is amazing. Like if you if someone comes to you and I, and the first thing you see is just like you've had it yourself, where I've gone through my <clears throat> initial static posture analysis, and you're like, okay, you made a few pointers, and you go through a movement analysis, um, and then you go through sort of like a movement. Uh, preparation analysis to see how their patterns look and you're like oh holy hell this person just can't move uh, they've got no hip extension rotation hip extension rotation no shoulder flexion no shoulder abduction they can't extend the yeah. shoulder like I, you basically you're not even human uh, I don't know how you walk around um, <laughs> so just making that person more flexible and then giving them some strength in those ranges is going to change their life um, and I say that jokingly but actually that's effectively majority of people that certainly let's let's pick on genders a little bit, but it's the majority of men that walk into the gym will to a degree fall into the, we just need to get you more flexible passively. uh, And then we need to strengthen the ranges that you've got because um, your, your capabilities, your movement capabilities ultimately dictate and determine your ability to perform. If you've got zero use or, or very little use of your overall ranges, then our ability as a coach to strengthen you 
is going to be limited versus if we can open out the ranges, I can we can put there's more potential for forward production through those ranges. Um, therefore, your performance being whatever it is, being just sat at your desk and getting better energy production throughout the course of the day will improve. That's the goal. Then you fast forward that to athletic performance. Um, then, of course, exactly the same, but you've just got a different end of the continuum. Um, but I think as well, what I do like to sort of touch on, which was the notes I kind of made, is um, talking about lengthening muscles. It's that kind of... Um, the misunderstanding, I think, of the way that, and I'm going to pick on yoga teachers now, the way that yoga teachers describe the way that tissue actually lengthens, um, like somehow certain human beings are walking around with like five inch shorter hamstrings um, and that the, the yoga class is actually taking this tissue and biologically changing the length of that tissue Um I, I get a bit like that's the word lengthening and stretching starts to be like, well, that's that's not what you're doing in those sessions. Yes, yes, you are achieving the ability to get greater range, um, but ultimately what you're doing is um, altering the stretch tolerance of that tissue. So. You've got a range of motion. Let's use shoulder, taking your arm over your head. You've got a range of motion, which your brain has let you go to because the last time you took your hand over your head if you're a desk worker might have been back at school. So when you take your arm over your head, your brain doesn't know where the very, very end ranges are. So it doesn't let you go to ranges you're not used to. You're not used to. That tissue didn't shrink in length. It stayed the same length mechanically. Um, if there was biological change, we're talking at the most tiny amount possible. Um, so when you're doing stretches, you're effectively training your central nervous system to allow yourself to go further into a range. You're, you're altering the stretch tolerance of the tissue that's there. Um, so it's very much a neural adaptation, as in you're teaching your brain your central nervous system neurally to allow you to go further into into a range um, versus this idea that somehow when we stretch muscles we're remodeling a muscle and, and we're gaining like three centimeter longer hamstrings by doing a passive hamstring stretch for, for three minutes um, so when you kind of like you move the language out of the way and you say okay so actually what we're doing isn't stretching what we're actually doing is we're teaching the brain to allow me to go into regions that I've not been to before. Um, and then flexibility training falls into that beautiful realm of compound strength training, just not the compound strength training bench press style of things, but more the compound strength training on the floor in pigeon pose, um, trying to go deeper into ranges and then actually working actively into the range and rather than just always passively holding the range. And then I guess I have issue with the, the names of exercises as well, um, because there is no name. It is just movement. It's just taking your body into a position that you currently can't get into, being able to support your body that you can hold that position for a sustained period of time, um, passively opening out range of motion, and then seeing if you can move that range of motion. So rather than just finishing with the stretch, 
seeing if you articulate the joint in that range, see if you can raise your leg off the floor or at least attempt to, to contract the tissue that would need to raise the leg off the floor in that range. That stuff for me, which then kind of falls into the FRC realm of uh, my, my brain, the functional range conditioning realm of my brain, um, that's, that stuff mm -hmm. is is magical um and that is um that paired with good flexibility and a good yoga teacher um is really where i get my kicks i might have spoken quite negatively about it i guess but actually that's that's probably my biggest area of what i enjoy doing with people um because yeah if you take someone that comes in and they fail not fail that's wrong, wrong use of a, a term but you go through the assessment and your notes are i've had it before i'm not sure if i've ever had this so i've written out my assessment form and I basically not filled anything in because the person in front of me can't do anything. So I can't even see if there's dysfunction. Yeah. All I can see is nothing. I'm like, your rib cage isn't moving. You can't take your hands overhead. I just put some crosses down. I can't see if you can hip in rotate or because I can't quite see. I think you need a, like a brick effectively. And, and sometimes personal trainers fall into this because a lot of PTs have gone through kind of maybe heavy S&C um kind of sessions in their younger days start to not move particularly well um so you're like we just need to start to move you like and it doesn't actually matter i haven't got to be too spot on here i just need to get some range of motion in hip inside rotation hip external rotation hip, abdu hip abduction hip flexion and hip extension they all need work um and then i'm like how can i do that it might be an isolation at first because the person isn't that used to doing things in positions that are multi-joint um so it might just be very basic mm -hmm. passive stretches to open out ranges um but yeah i think it's um as a group of as human beings currently stuck in isolation um it's a conversation i'm having so regularly now that people are starting to really notice what not moving does to the human body um and uh, the need to, to to do flexibility work is is super important. But then on top of that, the need to to have a good strength program, not a bench press strength program, but a strength program that looks a bit like a strength program, really, um, is super powerful. And I think that's where, as a coach, that we need to educate people coming into us um, that, uh, that actually yeah. a majority of the workout for the first uh, the first phase of training, which might be uh, like a general preparation phase, whatever, whatever the coaches call it these days, um, is probably going to be a lot of mat work for someone that is super, super restricted. Um, and yes, you should do some work with that person to make sure that you're achieving their goals. If their goals are fat loss, which you know yourself is obviously your field of, uh, of nutrition. Um, but uh, you can do a lot. Like you could do someone the world of good. They've come to you to lose a bit of body fat. And you spend four weeks really just trying to get them to, to move their joints in ranges they've not done before. And then solidify that by making them um, use those ranges that you just open so they walk out of the gym um, with some sort of ability to activate that tissue. Um, then in my eyes, you've done an incredible job versus doing what sadly I see too much of the time, which is going to bench press and doing some compound pressing and doing some bicep curls um, because in the long run at some point in time you're going to have to sort out your clients shitty movement patterns um, so if you, don't, if you don't teach them at the beginning then you're going to have an awful journey with that client because 
you've never given them or as a coach you didn't install in them the understanding that where they are currently isn't optimal and you can put load through them compound movements but I guarantee we'll be back in that injury stage because I guarantee you the ability of that tissue to withstand force is going to be very low we'll, we'll go into range of motion maybe in bench press and shoulder extension that you've not been to before with kilos in your arms um, the tissue will yield and you will be doing rehabilitation. Um, so it's an awkward conversation sometimes, but if you get client buy-in, this is the journey that you're going to take them on and you're going to make them a better human being by doing flexibility work, by telling them how that flexibility work is going to massively improve their performance. They can still get super lean having never touched a barbell because the human body has no idea what a barbell is. It's just a way of applying force to the human body, but there are countless ways of applying force to the human body. Um, so again, it's that that journey as a coach that you um, you want to educate them that flexibility is the kind of the mothership. It's the cornerstone. It's what we all need to be better at. Um, so yeah, make someone move better, yeah. put load through it, um, and that's it, really, isn't it? That's our job in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree, and I'll, I'm going to jump on something that you said about uh, the name of the exercises. So when I first started, I used to, I used not to prescribe an exercise to someone if I didn't know the name of it. It might be wrong. It might be. That's yeah. how I felt. And then one day I was reading something um, online. I can't remember who it was from. And it just gave me a, an idea. Since then, when I'm writing a program for someone, if there's an exercise, I don't know the name, or I feel like the name is not going to uh, ring a bell, for them, I just sit down with the client and I tell them to choose a name for the exercise. So I make them perform yeah. it. Then <laughs> I make them choose a name. So that way I know that they will remember it because it comes from them. But also, there's less chances of uh, misunderstanding or uh, of what should be done. And um, I've been doing it for years now, and it works. It goes back to, well. it goes back so, to that, and that's yeah. uh, it's so powerful because from what I hear when you say that is that like we're not teaching exercises, and that's what that's where the fitness industry goes wrong. The way it, it, the way I was taught, and I imagine probably you were taught, is I was taught exercises. I was taught how to make someone perfectly squat. Well, guess what? you have no idea what my perfect squat looks like because my body is different to every other homo sapien on this planet. So why, why are we trying to teach a perfect yeah, exactly. squat? And what is a squat? A squat is a human name placed upon ankle knee hip flexion with the toes turned out bilateral. But you could have called it like a dog. Who knows? But we get obsessed with these exercises. Yeah. But it's like you're just loading a pattern of movement. So if we just teach young trainers about movement, teach them proper like understanding of proper 
joint coupling is. What when you bend your ankle, your knee has to bend. But I can then alter the hip break to knee break ratio to affect tissue a bit more around particular regions of the body. There is no perfect deadlift. There is no perfect squat. There's no such thing as a deadlift. There's no such thing as a squat. This is just a movement, and we are applying load to that movement. So an exercise, there's there's so many exercises that haven't been named yet because, hey, you can move in so many ranges of motion. It's impossible to to list that many movements and that many ways of loading that many movements. You'd have this like, like I would love to see that list. It would be like a never ending flow of uh, list of exercises. So yeah, like, like what you say, all you need to do is like find a way for the clients to remember what to do, um, which could be recording it, yeah, um, and then sending it out. Which is where I sometimes struggle when I write my programs for online clients is like I then have to then run off to the bloody uh, to the gym or in this situation in my spare room and record an exercise, name it, put it on my YouTube channel, and then put it in their workout. Because I'm looking at them going, oh, God, I've got to load this kind of bloody weird shoulder position. I've not got a video for that. And I've not actually seen this particular issue before. So this, this video is going to be like, take me five, ten minutes to make it. I'm only going to use it once. Um, which is the issue with exercise, exercise libraries. Yeah. The, the, even the word exercise is like, like, what are we doing exercising? Like, we should just move. Let's just move. Let's just move the human yes, body. Yeah. Like, Move a bit, <laughs> move a bit, eat better, look after ourselves, look after our joints, take take joints to range of motion. If you've got good use of those ranges, add a bit of load to it, be it kettlebell, barbell, dumbbell, it doesn't really matter. It is just a way. There could be another way. Yeah. There could be some, I don't know, some magic heavy rope that you could load the body with. It doesn't really make a difference. Um, I think uh, nope. we just, the kind of like, how should I do this? What's the best way to do that? You're like, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's not hasn't always got i like seeing when i see a movement yeah there's there's certain prerequisites that i want to make sure i know you can do before i let you do that exercise but i actually don't get too unless it's super heavy i'm kind of happy to see my clients like explore the movement a little bit um get used to feeling it yep. try putting the weight in the in the midfoot try putting them the weight in the first mtpj Try like letting the knee go valgus, see what happens. Like the knee is supposed to go valgus. It's not like why are we teaching people to drive their knees out on a squat? Like when you bend your knees, your ankle, your foot pronates and your your uh, your um can't get the words out, tibia and fibula, they internally rotate. So you try and stop a knee from going in when you bend your knees and go down to the floor. It, it's not possible. So we're teaching people to not move the way the human body is designed to move. Uh, because someone said that your knees should stay out during a squat. Um, so yeah, if we teach people how the body actually moves, then you start to realize that okay, cool, I can I can actually just explore movement and decide myself yeah. as a coach how I want to apply load to the human body. I think that's a a better place for the world for the, the world of training trainers going forward. Um, because yeah, I hear this. Frustration from young trainers come around. Well, how do I know where I should put the weight in? How how do you choose if I should do it? And what, what's ips actually loaded again? What's contract loaded again? Was like like this stuff will come out. You'll eventually realise that that stuff is it's important. You're, you're talking about lists again. We're trying to put exercises into categories. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a funny one, isn't it? Um, I, I think the more I've learned, the kind of uh, the less. The more the classic one is, the more you learn, the more you realize you've got to learn. Um, and the more I learn, the less I've kind of yeah. felt like I need to control things anymore. And I'm kind of happy to have uh, 
these weird looking <laughs> workouts that don't necessarily make any sense to anyone else that reads them. But I'm happy with that. Yeah. 100%. And uh, I don't remember who this quote is from, but there's a quote saying that uh, export simplifies and um, uh, beginners uh, complicate yeah. things. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. But we've all been there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. And I'm not calling myself an expert uh, far from it. But uh, I've just learned with time and with years that... Uh, just control the thing that you can control so and let go of the rest everything will happen on time and as long as you're being professional you're being uh, mindful of what you're doing you're going to get your clients the results that uh, yeah i understand it's such a powerful place to be um get comfortable with what you don't know that's okay like it's uh we'll think about yeah. like solidify what you think you do know or, obviously but think critically um, don't worry about the things that you're not sure about. Yeah, as a, as a young coach, I you know I definitely did that. Um, and then, yeah, just get. That's actually even to this day, like moving to Ibiza has given me a year where I've not done tons and tons of one on one training, but I've really reflected on the way that I've gone about certain clients in the past in certain situations. And even even the last year has been a really powerful learning tool for me for just sort of making me making me even more comfortable with what I don't know. And even more, even more able to say, I have absolutely no idea. Um, but I think I know someone might know the answer to that, or give, or guide me better for it. Um, and those, those, I think those words should be quite powerful to anyone that is with a with a PT in the gym, and their PT turns around and says, "I don't know, I'm going to find out." Um, be very respectful <laughs> because it's, it takes it takes bravery to say that. Um, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't take much to just. To, bullshit your way out of a uh, out of a conversation just throwing some latin terms for the names of muscles and start talking in terry's minor and plant fasciitis and people are gonna be like oh yeah. this guy knows <laughs> no he doesn't he's just throwing some words that he, that he didn't actually understand no. himself um so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's good that's good So, do you have anything else to add? No, I think we, I think we hammered, I think we hammered it all yeah. pretty well. Um, I feel pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, uh, pretty good on those three. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So, Andy, once again, thank you for being on the Absolute podcast pleasure. with me. Uh, yeah, I wish you all the best with your journey in Ibiza. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, yeah, see you soon. Be great to see you again. <laughs>